great to be together this morning, amen, this afternoon. I should have practiced more, amen. Good to see everybody. And uh, I heard you guys had an awesome time in church last Sunday with Sean Barnes bringing the word to the church, amen, and uh, really reminding us of who this church really belongs to in the first place, right, and uh, what that means for us. And uh, if we could bring up that first slide, we're going to be talking about the uh, Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're going to look at that, but I want to read a scripture and ask you a question about what that says versus what the scripture says in just a moment. But just to bring you up to speed, yes, I did spend the last of those four days, we went, uh, the, the hurricane hit Garth and McCall's house and uh, did some damage. There was no direct flooding, but there was what's known as water infiltration because the water was literally up around the house for a period of time, and it's a concrete house, so the water sort of soaked through the walls, and they might have to repaint the first floors and stuff like that, and there was engineers and assessors, and I was there trying to put the house back together to some sort of semblance of order, and also to meet with the inspectors to help them out. Overall, they came through it okay. Uh, Their side of the island is still in the dark. The uh, eastern side of Nassau is basically older infrastructure, and its lines are all above ground, so the trees took all of that out. And then uh, the western side of the island is up and running, so there is supermarkets and stuff of that nature. But, you know, it's definitely a humbling situation. When it got dark, it got dark, okay? There were no fans. There was no air conditioning. On the last morning before I left, I said, I'm at least going to put my feet in the water so I I can't be like a loser that goes to the Bahamas and doesn't even go in the water. So I put my feet in the water, but that was about the extent of my you know, respite was, you know, thank God there was a breeze, right? Um, So in Matthew chapter 5, we're looking at this picture. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is a representation of it. I want you to think about what I'm about to read you versus what we see when we look here. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Now, when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. What does that picture show versus what does this scripture say? He's standing up. Here he's sitting down. And I'm thinking about what would that actually mean for who he was trying to address. Because I'm standing here, and as a teacher, if I'm trying to address a room full of people, I will stand up. If I sat down over here... I have to stand up. I can project better. Why I'm asking you this is, Jesus is ready to teach. But are you available for learning? Teacher talk. Are you available for learning? Because what did he do? He went up on the mountainside, and what happened? People came to him, right? And then he sat down. So if we go to the the next slide, it was probably more like this, okay? Now, there, there were no photographers, and we don't have time traveling yet, and this is not a, an actual rendering of a scene, but it was probably more like this, you know, more of the nature of looking at, you know, what it means to, uh, I'm getting a little bit of a technological glitch here, one second, trying to get to my, hmm, okay, next slide, I have my notes here, something happened over here, don't worry about that, so um, there were these great crowds, right? But he went up on the mountainside. I I really think what he was looking for there was to see who's willing to come up on the mountainside. Who's willing to go to some effort to get close to him. And 
you know, who's willing to make the energy and the effort to, to see where he, they can learn from him? And I, I don't think he was trying to address the hinterlands of the crowd. I think he was trying to see who's willing to come and hear what I've got to say. You know, and I, you know, today, you know, we have to ask ourselves, are we part of the crowd or are we actively engaged in our own spiritual learning? You know, we can't just be around. We need to be engaged. We need to be serious about it. If you look at the third slide, you know, he was addressing these people. Again, this is just a rendering. But where would you be in the crowd today? Would you be up there right under his feet? Or would you be back there in the cleft of that valley? You know, I'm there, but, you know, I'm not making every effort to get there, you know. And our hearts need to be, I want to get as close to Jesus as possible. And, you see, making every effort, it's not just coming out on a, on a Sunday or a midweek, you know. It's, are you climbing that mountain to get help with your heart? Are you climbing that mountain to get help with your marriage? Are you climbing that mountain to get help with your parenting? Are you climbing that mountain to get help with your dating, with your evangelism, with your outreach? You know, are you making the efforts that are going to put you in close proximity to opportunities to learn? And you see, for us as Christians, we all made that decision that we wanted to be followers of Jesus Christ, right? But following implies an active part, right? It's not passive at all. We made a decision we want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And if you're here with us today... This is what Jesus teaches his followers need to be like. It isn't just some passive acceptance of a relationship with him. It's a decision that we want to be following and imitating Jesus Christ, right? We, and if you read Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, it's a pretty high calling the Sermon on the Mount gives. And the reason I wound up spending so much time in this is when we were there in the, in the Bahamas, I had no technology, no distractions whatsoever. There's no internet. They barely had power. We had to go to a friend's house. We had no electricity, so I had to go to a friend's house to charge anything. So I just kept reading more and more of the Bible. And I'm reading this, and I'm like, man, if Jesus were here today, he would give this address. And he might say that this huge crowd here, he might go somewhere and say, well, who's going to really follow me? You know, who's going to really, and how would we all react to what he's saying? And what I've done is picked out a few passages from it that I felt like really stood out to me. Because the Sermon on the Mount is a huge sermon, right? I don't want to possibly uh, try to go over it in one time, but we need to be the men and women that uh, make the effort to get help. Because today we have Christians around us who can help us, right? And we have the scriptures we can delve into. And we can have prayer that we can bring in front of God. But we can't just be, okay, I'm right with God, and I'm checking in here, and I'm part of the crowd, the church crowd, you know? I don't want to be just part of the church crowd. I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to be drawing nearer to Him. I want to become more. Because Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I'm going to encourage you to go back and read it. But it lays out some very challenging uh, standards for the way we should be living our lives, right? There's high expectations in there. And it's very challenging. You know, even when you come out of a service, sometimes as a teacher, you, have, uh, you give to the kids what's called an exit ticket. They have to write out what they learned in class that day to get out of the class. You know? So in our minds... Do you have an exit ticket when you come out of a sermon? When you come out of a quiet time? When you come out of a, a, a time hanging out with other Christians, do you have an exit ticket? Do you have something in your head that really shows, I got something out of my time with God. I got something out of my time with the fellowship. I got something out of my time with other Christians. Do you know what I'm saying? But our hearts need to be that we're not just part of the crowd. Jesus is ready to teach. We have to make sure we're available for learning, that our hearts 
are really in that verse, right? You know, now there's a joke that I've got to give credit to, to Adam Perez. He, he shared that Bible talk. So it's, I hope it's funny, but it was funny Friday night. So Jesus is teaching, okay? Peter says, do we have to write this down? John says, I don't have a pencil. The Pharisee gets up and says, where's your lesson plans and what are your objectives? Teachers get that, right? I guess there's all a bunch of teachers in Bible talk. It was funny Friday night. It was really good. Why am I saying this, though? Sometimes we can miss the point of what's going on in church and get so caught up in what we should or shouldn't do, and we can even uh, get picayune with our approach, that we miss the point. Jesus is teaching. One guy's wondering, should we write it down? One guy's a guy who don't got a pencil. The Pharisee's like picking apart how he's doing it. And weren't the Pharisees famous for picking apart how Jesus did things? All the time. You know, he would, they would just pick him apart. And that they'd probably go back, oh, man, so unprofessional. The son of God, you know? So unprofessional, you know? And, you know, we need to be having that heart. And what I want you to look at is if you look in Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember he went up on that mountainside and he sat down? I want you to look at how many people actually made the effort. If you look in verses 28 and 29 in the end of Matthew chapter 7, it says there, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Who was amazed at his teaching? The crowds. So how many people took the effort to go up on the mountainside and be in close proximity to a seated Jesus who was addressing them? Lots of people. Crowds of people. So, in other words, even here today, all of us could make a decision. I'm available for spiritual learning. I'm going to be engaged in my own understanding of God. I'm going to get closer to Him. I'm going to come away with something meaningful. And I'm not just going to be like, oh, I went to church, but I don't remember what it was about. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because I know when I first came to a church like this, I was blown away. People had their notebooks out, and they're taking notes. Fellowship ends, and they're talking about what they got out of the sermon. I remember going to church where it was like 46 minutes. What does this guy think he is? He should be finished. Doesn't he know I got things to do? And the minister would be at the back of the church trying to be like an octopus, trying to get a, a, you know, a hand or a foot on everybody going out the door so he could at least say he touched people. <laughs> I touched my church today. You know? You know, if you were here in your heart, you know, asking yourself, would you be making these kinds of efforts? If it's an amen, you know what? You need to say amen. I am available for learning. If it's like, man, I've been kind of disengaged and I'm not always coming away with stuff, it needs to be an amen because I'm going to change, right? No one here should say amen like, I'm out of here, you know? It needs to be one of the other ones, okay? God wants us to have a heart that's going to follow along with where Jesus goes, amen? Now, my second point is... uh, I still haven't found what you're looking for. How many guys are still praying about stuff in your life that, you know, you know, you wish would come true and, you know, you have these ongoing prayers, right? We have petitions, right? Well, I want to tell you that you just have to keep asking. That's intense. You just got to keep asking. Matthew chapter 7. And when I think of asking, there's an A in ask, which is ask. There's an S in ask, which is the seek, which we're going to read. And there's a, a K and ask, which is the not. So Matthew chapter 6, um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. 
If you still haven't found what you're looking for, keep asking. So Matthew 7, this is Jesus addressing the people in that Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Okay? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. When I looked at this, asking, that's like prayer and petition, right? Now, have you guys ever signed a petition for something? Have you ever enlisted somebody to petition God for you in prayer about something? See, there are times when we're asking God and we're petitioning God, but we need to also get other people petitioning God for us, right? We need to ask people, sign on to my petition of prayer, okay? We need to have a committed heart about prayer. When things just don't seem like they're coming together the way you expect or hope or want, you need to be even more determined about it. But then it says to seek. So should you just pray and then just sit there and then wait for it all to happen? No. You cannot just pray and they're like, well, God should do something. No. You're going to seek. Okay? One, of the, one of the best examples that I have in, in, in my life about this is when we went to Africa and when we came back from Africa. When I went to Africa, I didn't have a job. We went there with $2,000, two suitcases. We're sleeping on a leaky air mattress, and we didn't want to come home and tell my dad we're broke. And I have nothing, and we, we sold our cars, and I was like, God, you're going to have to take – we were petitioning God for jobs. What I did is I took the map of Harare, Zimbabwe, and I circled every school on the map. And I said, God, I am going to every single school on this map until I find a job. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I said, this is what I'm going to do. Thank God, the first school I went into, a teacher had completely freaked out the two weeks before, a science teacher, and he had quit. And there was this vacancy in the school that they were desperately trying to fill. And the, back then it was all paperwork driven, so the, the district office didn't even know. I went and informed them about the vacancy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So God answered that prayer, right? So we came back from Africa, and we came back, and schools were always supposed to have been started since 1993. And there was this big asbestos scare. So the schools in New York City stayed closed an extra two weeks. We arrived back the week the schools were supposed to open, but the schools stayed closed an extra two weeks that year. Hmm. So I put my same plan into practice. I got out the map of the Bronx. I circled every single school, the best, and then spreading out from there. So I went to Bronx Science first. And if you guys know me, I didn't get to teach at Bronx Science. They really liked me, and they really were impressed, but there were no vacancies. I'm like, oh. Then I went to DeWitt Clinton High School. Penelope's alumni of that school. It was an awesome school to work at. I walk in there, and at first, Bill Connolly, he was the AP of student services, and he's like, you seem qualified, but there's, there's just no jobs. 
And I'm like, man, I'm not giving up this easy. So I saw Connolly, and I saw all this Irish paraphernalia on the walls. So I just, I started talking about my parents being from Ireland and my trips to Ireland and having been there in 1985. That was the last time I'd been there. And all my parents' experiences coming from Ireland and any Irish thing I could think of. Guess what happened? He's like, you know what? Why don't you go back there? The two science APs are actually interviewing for positions. And you can, you can see if there's anything that fits what you're able to do. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That was asking, seeking, and I was knocking. Because I was like, I got to get me a job. Because we came back from Africa with those same two suitcases, about $4,000 and a baby, which is now McCall. So I had to make money, right? So you got to have that ask, seek, and knock attitude. You can't be like, oh, I asked once. I asked twice. It's a matter of faith more than it is perseverance. Do you trust that God's promises in the Scriptures will come true? Because he says there, if you then know you are evil, in verse 11, and how give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you who ask him? It's not about perseverance as much as it's about, do you believe what Jesus said? You shouldn't give up. If you give up, you're falling short of what you could have. you just you got to be persistent with this. You know? We need to have that kind of a heart. You know, you think of a time, you know, even God sometimes, you ask for stuff. Has anyone ever asked you to do something that you knew it wasn't good to let them do? Sometimes it's your children. Sometimes it's people where they ask you to do something for them. You're like, I don't really think that's a good thing. Because sometimes we're asking God for stuff, and he's like saying, I think you might want to think that one over a little bit, you know. Maybe, because sometimes we're asking and, and then we, what we need to ask for is maybe it's more for more wisdom. Maybe it's for more understanding. Maybe it's for more clarity on what it is we should be seeking. See, there, there are times in our kids' lives where they're asking for stuff, and I'm like, I don't know if you really want that, you know. And there are some times I've literally closed the door on things because it's like, you're not going there, you know. And I had to apologize sometimes because I come across a little forceful at those moments. And I, not very Christ-like. I get, I get kind of adamant. And I have to apologize because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But there's times in my life where my kids have been after things. I've been like, no, that's just not happening, you know. And why am I saying this? Sometimes we're asking for things and God's like, I don't think you know what you're really asking for, you know. And, you know, you, you, you need to trust that God's really out for your best interests, you know. He wants to give good gifts. Some of the things we ask for, if we got them, it might not really be a good gift. So, you know, Jesus recognized that in our life, there will be hard times. In fact, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about it. Even in the Beatitudes, Christians are going to get persecuted and slandered and insulted. Okay? We're going to go through hard times with each other. We're going to go through hard times spiritually. You know? But the bottom line is that he said it was going to happen that way, but we're not supposed to be overcome by the things that happen that way. We're supposed to trust that we can figure this all out together, that God can resolve it, you know? Um, the third thing is, if we can go to the next slide, is uh, what road are you on and to which house? In Matthew chapter 7, if you look in verse 13. Okay? Um, if we look there in, uh, oops, excuse me, some, i got to, one second. 
I'm missing something from my notes, but I have it right here. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It's uh, enter through which gate? The narrow gate, right? For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Jesus said, does majority rule? Is it a majority rule situation? No, it's the narrow gate and it's the narrow road. And that's the one that leads to life. And only a few find it. Sometimes we look around at what's going on in the world around us and we let that be our gauge of what we should or shouldn't do. What should our gauge of what we should or shouldn't do come from? From the Word of God, right? From our relationship with Jesus from what we know to be true versus what everybody else thinks they should be doing. We have to be men and women that are able to stand upon what we believe and not be taken left and right by other stuff that's happening around us. Now, for me, in Matthew chapter 6, that's a scripture that just this morning, it hit me. This is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know why it never hit me, but it's been a scripture that I always use, seek first His kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well, right? I, that was a scripture that I took on in the beginning of my walk with Christ, is I'm going to always seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and I trust that everything else will be taken care of, right? Why am I telling you that? That was like the roadmap for my life. Do you know there's times in your life where you're about to take the next step and you don't even know where the ground is? But with God, we can trust that He's there for us. That if we're going with His Word, we're making the right decisions. That even on that narrow, difficult road, if we're following what we know He's teaching us, and we have to make hard choices or even scary choices, that God will be there and have put a piece of ground under our feet. You know what I'm saying? Because there's been times where I had to make decisions where I was like, man, I'm going to face a lot of hardship. I'm going to face a lot of persecution. I'm going to face a lot of challenges. But bottom line is trusting that God's got my back with regards to that. You know? So you need to ask yourself, am I letting what everybody else does become the standard by which I judge myself? If I say, well, I'm better than most people, that used to be my argument. Well, I'm better than most people. I went to college and I kept going to church, right? Most of my friends, when they went to college, they were like in Braveheart. Freedom! You know, some of them, you know, but I went to church, so in my head I was like, well, I'm better than most people. Now, I wasn't righteous at all. Okay, I was crazy and insane. But I said to myself, I'm better than most people, which was probably true. But is that the standard? See, the standard wasn't I'm better than most people. The standard was, am I doing what Jesus would tell me to do? And the answer to that was flat out no. But God had to keep working on me to get me on the right road. So you got to get on the right road. And if you don't even know what I'm talking about, then you need to be like, someone show me the road. Show me the way. Teach me what I need to know. And if you're a Christian that's wandered off the right road, be open about it. Man, I got caught up in some stuff that I need help with. I don't want Satan to take me out. Because where does that broad road lead? To destruction. Okay? It doesn't lead anywhere good. If you're on the broad road, you need to get off the broad road. 
Get off the road. Get on the narrow road. There was a time when they were building Route 80. You guys know Route 80? It goes out west across the whole country. There was a time when it was being built in the 70s. And the road that paralleled it was Route 46 in New Jersey. So we're on Route 46 in New Jersey. My dad got tired of being on narrow little Route 46. So the road wasn't even open. He went and got on the road with all of us in the car. And we're driving around construction vehicles and cranes and buckets of this. And I'm like, what are we doing? It's a good road. It's a wide road and there's nothing, no traffic on it. And I'm like, what if there's a place where the bridge is gone, Dad? What if they haven't put the bridges in yet? I was like, goodness gracious. My dad was a rebel, okay? He's like, why am I telling you this guy? Think about it now. And it really was, it scares the bejesus out of me. Do you understand what I'm talking about? We need to get on a narrow road. Now, the next thing is, what kind of house are you going to be getting to? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So either of these people avoid the rains and the winds and the water. See, it's not that building your house on the right thing is going to avoid troubles. Building your life on the right thing means you will survive the troubles. Now, I went down there to see Garth and McCall's house, and the original house is very well built. But after they built the original house, the owners of that house decided they wanted to put a set of stairs down to the water, an extra set of stairs, and they wanted to put some sea walls up to sort of partition it off from the easement on one side, you know, and... The original house, they went down. They went onto the rock. They dug into the footings. The, the, the additions that they built on, they just poured it right on top of the ground that was there. See? So the inspectors came in and they're like, if there was a footing, if they'd gone down even 8 or 10 inches with this wall, the wall would still be there. But it was right on top of the rock, so the ocean hit it, and it just moved. And once it moved, concrete, once it moves, you're done. You got cracks. Okay? So, you see, the, the, the difference is the house itself withstood all of this. But the things that were put onto the house afterwards that weren't well built haven't withstood all of this. So, you know, don't, don't let Satan tell you that you can start building with cheap stuff. That you can start taking shortcuts. That you can start not doing it the right way. Don't start building your life on the rock and then start building the things that you're adding into your life any old way you want right now. We need to be men and women that stand firm. If you look in, in uh, Luke chapter 6, it's a parallel scripture. It says, this is about the man building on the rock. He is like a man building his house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it couldn't shake it because it was well built. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? So you dug down deep. You went into the rock. And then when things come up against it, we know that the house isn't the house. He's not talking about construction advice here, is he? He's talking about our, our life. And he's saying you have to dig down deep. You have to build it on the rock. We know what the rock is, right? Jesus Christ. Okay? We need to build our lives on that. Okay? And floods are going to come against our life. And things are going to come into our life. Okay? And, but we can withstand them. Every one of us here. Sometimes we look around and we're like, man, I'm the only one who's struggling. Sometimes we feel like that. Even if it's true at that particular moment. Does this scripture say that everyone in here is going to face challenges? Yes. At some point, all of us in here are going to face things that could potentially take us out. Because Satan is not passive. Didn't he try to take out Jesus? And even at that time, he left him for a more opportune time, right? He didn't just give up. See, why I'm telling you this is for us, Satan's after us. And even if it's just today that he's after you, or maybe it's in a year, all of us are going to face this stuff. And, you know, Jesus says there's only going to be one of two reactions to this, to his words, right? You're either going to build it on the rock or you're going to build it on the sand. There's not somewhere in between. You know, and at the end, if you look there in the end of uh, chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in verse 28, it says there, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. See, Jesus taught with such certainty about what he was talking about that he spoke with such a clarity that he's like, this is exactly what you need to be like. Don't waffle on this. Don't try to go halfway on this. You understand what I'm saying? My encouragement to you is Take the time to read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we have an olive green sob locking folks in in the parking lot. New York license plate. Okay. Um, apparently there's somebody who needs to get out and that sob is blocking the, the parking lot. So someone could respond to that. Okay. Um, so just to close out, though, I want to encourage you. Kind of your exit ticket for today is go and read the Sermon on the Mount. And ponder it. Because I only took three little pieces. And it's a great thing to read. It took me like most of that week to really go through that. And I was kind of jumping to the reference scriptures, you know, bopping around. Getting, and for us to be men and women today, that we're really available for learning, right? That we're going to keep on asking for the things that we need from God in the way that he says we should ask, right? And that we're going to be on the correct road going to the right house. Amen? I appreciate the chance to be together with you today. I hope this encouraged you and that we have a great time of fellowship here. Amen.